Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, the United States of America. Kaylee, it's a long time coming. Yeah. Where, where is that that little country again? Hey, we're not getting into the United States of America right yet. We're not talking about the election right off the bat. We got other stuff to talk about. Because mm-hmm. there's other stuff happening. There is. Uh, <laughs> that's what my good news was going to be, that the uh, election cycle in the United States is going to be over. And then we'll have like a three-month period before the swearing in and everything and then about six months before campaigning starts again from what i understand oh something i wanted to ask you um because we did we predict we got the new zealand election right like we made a good call just in Ireland won a majority good news we are we doing that this time (laughs) are we making a call yeah uh i no i'm not (laughs) if if anything has been no okay I was going to say that, like, oh, it's so hard to predict American elections, but things are looking pretty good this time. Like, pretty, uh, the polls are showing certain outcomes with reasonable confidence, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We shouldn't give away our stance on things, right? Yeah, yeah we're going to get into it. We'll get into it. <laughs> All right. I, I think maybe we can come out with our stance on this election, but we'll do that later. Right. Yeah. Okay. 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 So you got good news. Is your good news tied into your Antonio Gutierrez news again this week? Or is it something? Are they two separate things? No, no, no curveballs this time. The both my good news and my Gutierrez news are entirely predictable. (laughs) All right. Uh, Why don't you give us the good news then? All right. Um, So my good news is that uh, the International Energy Agency, which is sort of like the the body on 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 pricing for energy and and that's sort of and 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 knowledge about that has officially um for the first time said that solar energy is the most uh affordable option and it will are will exceed fossil fuels in becoming the cheapest electricity option and then and will likely grow year over year um setting new records uh for the next two decades or so huh i saw this and is this like a like on a global scale solar energy is cheaper than fossil fuels now or and it's the, the cheapest across the board like it's cheaper than hydroelectric it's cheaper than nuclear it's cheaper than wind everything that is my understanding of the one article i did read about it but so in in it said basically at this point in best locations with the access to the most favorable policy supports and financing um solar energy now generates electricity at or below uh 20 20 american dollars per megawatt um, which is, it's just, it's a lot less than coal or gas. Um, and it's projected that over like, uh, in India, for example, that will drop by 65% in the next two decades. Um, wow. so it'll essentially by comparison be essentially free in comparison to the cost of coal fired power plants. And with like investment, assuming countries continue to invest in the same way in this, uh, it, that will, that projection, it's, it's just set to continue the year over year, it'll become more favorable. Um, wind energy is, is pretty expensive. So I, but that is also becoming more affordable, more popular, hmm. but the, the, they're pointing to sort of this, the international energy agencies, um, statement of like this fact um, uh, and 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 the reality of like the financial uh, the change in the financial burden of of, of power sources um, as being a really essential like regardless of of the plans that governments come up with like post COVID like the evaluation you're going to make about what you invest in is going to be cost based and uh, mm-hmm. and the opportunity that exists in that is 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 a really exciting one. Cool. Um, yeah, that is good news. Yeah. Um, hey. Also interesting, 
Interestingly, India has a world record solar facility that's 60,000 hectares of, uh, of panels, which is like, the, it said, the equivalent of 55,000 uh, uh, 55, soccer fields. Wow. Yeah, that's so much. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so that's, that, that's in one facility? Just one gigantor facility? Yeah. Yeah, that's the it's a it's a world record solar facility. Wow, where yeah. How, where where do you find in the space? Gujarat in India. Um, it's uh, apparently non-arable land, so they just have the space. Huh. I, I guess I imagine India as a pretty densely populated place, <laughs> where it would be difficult <laughs> to find the land necessary to place fifty-five thousand consecutive soccer fields, um, and instead of putting soccer fields there, uh, put solar panels. But hey, I yeah. guess they found the space. I guess it's important, so it's something you look for. Yeah, and and if it's so affordable, then you know it does. It's, it just doesn't make sense to you know, coal power plants have got to be expensive to be building. Um, but if you can find the space for solar plants, it seems like a lot better of an investment right now. Cool, good news. So try and you know try and keep it on this track. Uh, my my good news is not at a global scale. It mm-hmm. is at a national scale in South America. Okay, in Chile. They just voted, they just had a referendum. We oh, talk about yeah. referenda sometimes on the show. And they had a referendum to rewrite the constitution. Oh. Because the current constitution that they had and still have until they rewrite the current one um, was put in place by Augusto Pinochet, who is a mm-hmm. dictator uh, in the 1970s in Chile. Uh, he was put in through a US backed coup. So I guess we're still talking about the Americans again. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, so he was a dictator. He put in this constitution that a lot of people feel kind of embeds inequalities into the way that things are run. So there's a lot of systemic inequality in the country. Namely, mm-hmm. people were talking about um, the through the privatization of healthcare, education, housing, and pensions in the country was all just the government was completely out of it, uh, and that was enshrined in the constitution. Wow. So they're they're supposed to have this vote back in April. Um, mm-hmm. Certain things happened to make it difficult to have votes in April. Um, so they had a they had a new referendum back in, uh, I guess, just a few weeks ago in October. Uh, and 78% of people, which is hard to get 78% of people to agree on something, yeah. agreed to not only that they wanted a new constitution, but also 79% of people said that the new constitution should be written completely by people elected for constitution writing and there shouldn't be 50 percent of the regular congress having a say on it and so they're having that election for the 155 people to write the constitution in this coming april april 2021 um and then there'll be a group of people writing a constitution which will then probably take about a year to get done Mm -hmm. but yeah this whole this whole kind of idea of having this referendum started because there was an increase in metro fare costs. Yes. Because this is like, a, there were huge protests in Chile. Yeah, for a there while. were like a million people in the streets. There were like 30 deaths associated with protests over the last year. And, and this whole thing kind of changed from this small, the seemingly small thing of increase in metro fares all the way to screw it, we're rewriting the whole constitution. Let's figure it out. And they're actually going to do it. 
Yeah, like it, it, it's interesting. Like in my when I it was in my undergrad, that was when I learned uh, like first like the little thing, like something that can seem sort of like inconsequential, how that can kind of spiral into or be representative of like a large the larger problem. Um, so it seemed metro fares, the privatization of metro, and then the fact that the privatization of metro is enshrined in the constitution. You you can see how it escalates, but it's not necessarily immediately apparent. I guess, and it's something that is apparent to everybody um mm-hmm. and it's something that hits home for a lot of people uh and so it's taking this big thing of like constitutional reform which a lot of people don't want to talk about and don't care about and don't see how it affects them mm-hmm. but when it all comes down to it's pretty easy to get a million people really pissed off about subways being more expensive yes <laughs> <laughs> um, and i mean uh political campaigns try to do this all the time right it's like get people mm-hmm. mad about one specific actual thing that impacts them mm-hmm. and uh that happened here and now the constitution is being rewritten and uh so i mean we're not out of the woods yet they got to rewrite the constitution but people seem pretty excited about it yeah i mean i I was i googled some uh to see the in chile and the pictures everybody looks so happy they're very celebratory they do so yeah it's good news yeah they look happier now than after their uh, month-long daily protests (laughs) about the methyl increase i can see why this would be a relief Um, I mean, you just said I can see why this is a relief, and I don't want to go from relief into what we're about to talk about. <laughs> but I, I, I think we have to. It's got to happen at some point. Yeah. So let's situate ourselves, right? Yeah. Let's situate ourselves. The United mm-hmm. States is a country in North America. Yeah. Between Canada and Mexico. Mm-hmm. I mean, I should. I. It's not between Canada and Mexico because it also has Alaska, which is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the other side of Canada from the United States, it also has Hawaii, all these other places. Some places that, like Guam, that are not states, but part of the United States. We don't have to get into statehood. There's just so much that we could talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it is overwhelming. The The United States, population 330 million. The mm-hmm. third largest in the world. I know we talked about the Indian election. Um, and everybody was like, this is the most crazy election because there's like 900 million people that can vote and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we don't really talk about how the United States also is just a gargantuan number of people trying to vote. Yep. Um, despite uh, many politicians in the United States trying to make it so that a lot of people can't vote and suppress the vote, which has been uh, <laughs> happening during this election. And also, I mean, historically, probably to a greater mm-hmm. extent um, previously with poll taxes and forcing people to have literacy tests that unfairly targeted uh non-white men um not allowing uh non-whites or uh women to vote until exceptionally late uh, <laughs> we don't have to get into the like 14th and 15th amendment um but <laughs> the united states uh yep. not exactly the beacon uh country for equality they have a Gini index that is very high of 48.5, which is the inequality index. Yep. There's issues in this country. There's issues of freedom of the press. There's, <laughs> I mean, normally on this, on this, on this show, we talk about these types of things about countries and there's certain countries that we don't even go into this type of stuff. Like when we were talking about New Zealand, we're, we're just <laughs> like, you know, pretty chill. It seems like a good democratic process, but by gosh, does the United States have issues when it comes <laughs> to <laughs> equality of access, uh, fairness, 
uh, freedom. I just think their whole electoral system is immensely complicated and, and the type of thing, you know, we talk about in other countries where we're like pretty critical of it. It, is, not other it is one of the countries that we should be very critical of. It, I mean, if we're just talking about like voting in the United States, mm -hmm. not, not about who they're voting for or how many races happen at once or how things change all the time, being able to go vote as a Canadian, you think mm -hmm. like, what is voter suppression? How do you even do that? Like, can't you just go to the poll, sign up and vote? Yeah. No. No, no. <laughs> that is not the case. The case is that you have to you have to enroll months in advance and you have to make sure that every time there's an election in some states automatically everybody gets taken off the voter registration list yep. every election. You have to apply for things. You got to get stuff in the mail that sometimes doesn't get doesn't get delivered. You have to like really fight for access to where you can vote that you have the ability to vote. You got to plan months in advance. You have to when people say make a plan to vote. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how serious you got to plan to get to a polling station that isn't going to be watched by Trump supporters with guns. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is, this is wild. Well, I, I, I was listening to another podcast and they're saying that in Houston, there is now one drop off box for like absentee, like ballots in for the whole city of Houston, a huge city in Texas. Yeah. Only one box. And then hours, hours long, three hour long lineups, but they don't have a voting holidays or, or particularly like requirements for jobs to let you go vote. So if it takes you three hours, you might not be able to vote because you might have a job that won't let you. Further in Texas, that mm -hmm. you mentioned Texas, the mm -hmm. voter suppression in Texas is kind of wild. You can't even get an absentee ballot unless you're over 65, sick or or disabled, or you'll be out of the county in which you vote on election day. Yeah, there are a total of five states that do not allow you to mail in your ballot um, without a valid excuse, and that excuse does not include COVID nineteen. Yeah, there was there were efforts in Texas to allow absentee ballots for COVID nineteen because there is a pandemic that is out of control in the United mm -hmm. States right now. Five hundred thousand cases in the last week, and no absentee ballots for. Uh, people nervous to go to the polls in Texas, where Texas is turning into a swing state, right? <laughs> so in, in the next 20 years, it's projected to become a swing state, right? Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at polling maps right now, it's, it's a light red, like the, it's a battleground state right now. Yeah. But, and I think also like it's, we talked about in previous elections, like um, procedure for COVID, but like, I think something we find across the board when you're reading about this, like every state does it differently. So some states have pretty good setups for responding to COVID-19 and some states just don't have anything. Don't have anything. Did you see <laughs> uh, that on like the technological and science achievements on the uh, Trump website, yeah, says that one of their technological achievements is beating the COVID nineteen pandemic that was put on today. Oh, jeez! <laughs> that the pandemic's over. They won. Nailed it. Oh, killed it. Okay. I, I, all right. <laughs> I don't know um, what the march. <laughs> so okay, so we're talking about you. You're just mentioning that things are different in every state, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of different things in every state. And there are multiple things that are being elected in different states, right? Yep. So in this, on this election day on November 3rd, next Tuesday, um, mm -hmm. there's a presidential election yep. that is voted on in all the states. And then all the different states have different numbers of electoral votes that they then assign mm -hmm. normally to the 
candidate who won the most votes in that state. Yeah. In the last election, there were some faceless electors, five um, that didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, I think two that didn't vote for Donald Trump. So there were seven faceless electors, which was kind of a new thing in the United States, um, <laughs> the Electoral College, uh, to have actual faceless electors. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's also uh, the House of Representatives that's having an election where there's 435 members of the House of Representatives, which are allotted on a per capita basis to each state. So it's mm-hmm. basically representative of populations. Mm-hmm. Um, the House of Representatives is currently controlled by the Democrats and is projected to maintain and they're projected to maintain that control. And then there's the Senate, which is. Every state, all 50 states, just get two senators. doesn't matter how yep. big the state is, how populous the state is. And the Senate is currently marginally controlled by Republicans, and it is projected to basically be a toss-up for control. <laughs> um, it's something like 60-40, 70-30 potential for Democratic control of the Senate. But it doesn't change very quickly because... Senators have six-year terms, and they mm-hmm. every two years, a third of the senators are voted for. Yeah, which and is it's confusing. Very, <laughs> yeah, and it's important. To, like, it's much harder. Like, depending on the year, uh, sometimes more Republicans are up than Democrats. So mm-hmm. this year in the Senate is a lot harder for the Republicans because they have to defend a lot more seats. Yeah, there's something like I remember seeing because of the Senate's skew to have more senators in less populous states, which mm-hmm. I mean, there are arguments to be made about whether or not that is a feature or a bug. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is like those the I think we I think as Canadians, at least I do, I don't often put enough weight on the fact that the United States is a collection of individual states, mm-hmm. whereas Canada is like a country divided into provinces, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so many states would argue that, yeah, who cares how many people we have? As a United States, we should each get equal representation at the Senate level. Um, Whether or not you agree with that or think that's democratic, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you can have that discussion somewhere else. But that because of that uh, rural skew, it's something like, the Democrats have to lead by like eight to 10 points nationally in Senate votes to mm-hmm. actually get to actually gain control of the Senate. So it's like, yeah, a pretty big uphill battle. Yeah. And it's and it, it the to sort of like numerically explain why this becomes a challenge, because it, it does seem to make sense. Like, oh, yeah, everybody should get two senators. But like North, uh, like North and South Dakota, for example, much smaller states um, would have um significantly more less people represented by one allotted to be represented by one senator senator uh, than california which is you know has more population than the country of canada who also has the same number of senators yeah canada doesn't have the same number of senators we have done no uh but california has the same number of senators um so so you can uh, the democrats could overwhelmingly I mean, jumping a little bit for into the Electoral College, which is sort of allotted similarly, um, could win overwhelmingly in California. And those millions and millions of people voting for them, it just they just become excess because uh, because, you know, ultimately it doesn't matter. They've already won it. Um, But uh, if they don't win in South Dakota with a much smaller population, it's it's the same. It's a it's an equal or, or in some ways an equal loss, I guess. Yeah. 
Like the Electoral College, every state starts out with at least three votes. Yep. Um, three electors. Yeah. And then the rest is sort of allocated by per capita basis, mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah. Um, but it hasn't changed in a while. Yeah. From what I understand. <laughs> no, I don't think it has. And and I think and and so like I I do have a number for that. So like in Wyoming, a hundred and ninety three uh, thousand people are represented by one electoral electoral college vote. And then in California, seven hundred and 18,000 are represented by one electoral college vote. So you can Mm. see a pretty dramatic discrepancy there. Yeah. And I think something that people talk about often is this kind of like, it's it's kind of like a winner take all of a winner take all. It's like, Mm -hmm. if you live in a state which is either historically very safe for the Republicans or Democrats, Mm -hmm. um, not only is it not democratic in that... (laughs) you either are over or underrepresented. It's also not democratic because a lot of, at least at the federal level, basically presidential campaigns don't even spend any money, any time, any care about campaigning or winning your vote. Mm -hmm. Um, Simply because there are a handful of States that have enough votes, enough electoral college votes to matter that are also potentially swing States that have a chance of going one way or the other and are just ruthlessly, ruthlessly campaigned in, like yeah. Florida or Pennsylvania. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it's just like, I also see how much the 2016 election cost $6.5 billion in campaigning. I don't know if that sounds, I mean, that is a huge number. <laughs> I don't know if I would guess if that's more or less than I would have thought, though. It's a it's something like a a fifty percent increase over two th- the year two thousand like the election two thousand. Yeah, that's something it, like that's like twenty dollars per American, I guess, which is pretty yeah. wild. I guess the important note there is that a group of fewer than two hundred people uh, spent one billion of that six point five billion dollars. Yes, so so that's <laughs> <laughs> something to consider. There's a, there's not a lot of rules about electoral spending. Yeah, there's there are about individual campaign donations, but then mm-hmm. to get around that, there's these political action committees, right? PACs and super PACs, which campaign on behalf of uh, the official campaigns um, and can get more money than individual donations to actual presidential campaigns. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, rules are meant to be broken, I guess. So, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I guess hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna find ways to get around it, uh, more power to you. I guess. Um, so, Sorry, so let's talk about track. yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about some of the other races that are going on, right? Yes. So there's there's a presidential election that everybody talks about, mm-hmm. and then there are senatorial races. There are races for the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Um, for those 435 places. Then there are statewide races that are happening at the same time yep for uh like gubernatorial races for governorships um and then there's all these other mayoral races there are like sheriffs get elected and judges get elected Mm -hmm. can you like do we have this in canada am i just missing it like what are judge elections what is that (laughs) Um, we we don't we don't do that um because it's 
I mean, there's a, there's kind of some, I mean, I guess there's some argument for, but the idea is that it's a local, you run in your district as a judge to be, to serve in, and you might be a Republican or a Democrat, I guess. Um, I mean, I think in some cases you can be an independent that does exist, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I guess it's it's acknowledging what like we it, it's an appointment in Canada, right? Like the federal government or or the provincial government will or they'll appoint judges, and we sort of assume based on merit. Um, and judges typically would not declare their political leanings. I I think you would it would sort of be see as a faux pas to be too politically active as a judge. Mm-hmm. Um, and this sort of is sort of the reverse of that, saying like. Well, probably they are political, so why don't we know their political stances and then we can vote on it. But it does sort of put a lot of, again, it's another situation, putting burden on the voter. I mean, the ballots in America are really, really long because you have to vote for all these positions and you probably don't know anything about like, uh, I, I mean, there's, I think, a work being done to try and get people to research this more, but it is a lot mm-hmm. of burden to say, I need to know about all these sheriffs, can, uh, potential sheriffs candidates, um, and I didn't look up that one. I forgot that that was going to be on the ballot. So now I just have to pick a random name. I guess I'll pick the first one on the ballot. Like you, mm-hmm. you know, what what are you picking it based on? Um, so the the it's it's quite an onerous. Uh, I think that the ballot process, like every we're talking about, like all the ways that this is very hard. And again, the ballot feels like it's another situation that it's very hard. You have to know a lot. Yeah, and. Also, it would be easier to vote if you could get ballots at home and vote by mail Mm -hmm. um, and do this research. I know you can get advanced um, ballots and see what's going to be on the ballot. You can request Mm -hmm. those like a month ahead of time. uh, And then you can go through everything, make all your choices, and then go vote. Um, But you can't do it at home in some states. In other places, you can. I've been reading people talk about this, and they're like, yeah— it was actually pretty nice. I went with my girlfriend and we both had our ballots and we sat together all evening and we did our research on all of the stuff. We discussed all these different races that were going on. Uh, and then we went, we dropped off our ballots and we got, we went to a little cafe, went home. It was a really nice experience and not so stressful as like going and waiting in line for seven hours and not Mm -hmm. being able to have any food or go to the washroom. Yeah. And well, so, and I think like also there are organizations that like have put together like that put together what each um all the candidates and the propositions and the referendums that will be on the ballot um and like some of them i guess will probably recommend what to vote for but others will just tell you like who is funding what and who who what the language means etc because a lot of the time the language isn't clear it's mm-hmm. un- it can be it can be unclear who is benefiting and wh- what why they want this to go forward yeah um so it but it it's like that like scenario of of this couple like that's an ideal like an ideal situation where you have probably so many people who just taking that evening to do that research and and go through that process is is not necessarily realistic yeah i mean okay so we were talking about um judges Mm -hmm. yeah and i don't know how much you want to talk about this but it's been in the news. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Supreme Court justice picks. Yeah. So some judges are elected. Other judges mm-hmm. are appointed. The Supreme yeah. Court is appointed by the president and voted on and confirmed by the Senate. Yes. Yeah. It used to be, it used to require a two thirds Senate majority to um, approve um, Supreme Court 
uh, nominations uh, mm-hmm. through consti- constitutional uh, fun and games. This mm-hmm. has uh, been changed uh, to, it's not been changed, but it's been interpreted differently as mm-hmm. only needing uh, 50%. Um, because what well, you, you need 50 plus one, but if you tie and it's 50-50, then the vice president gets to make the tiebreaker yeah. vote, which will, he'll normally go <laughs> with what the president just nominated. Um, and so this new judge, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, has just been uh, nominated to the Supreme Court. And I think just today or yesterday mm-hmm. was confirmed by the Senate yeah. um, to actually be the ninth justice, replacing mm-hmm. uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, yes. on the Supreme Court. Yeah. Why is this controversial, Kaylee? Um, well... <laughs> We have we have another twenty minutes. Yeah, but we got to get no, to space news. So, <laughs> I think well, I think that actually this probably won't. This doesn't need to necessarily take very long. I, th- I think a lot of our listeners will know that it, it's pretty controversial. But the the reasoning is is it's an election year in theory. In and and um like and a lot of people have already cast their ballot. In theory, this is the time when a, a president would be sort of well, probably not in in you you don't want to be making major decisions when your populace are voting potentially to take you out of office. Um, when it is essentially, this is now a referendum on this election when, when an incumbent is trying to win the election again is a referendum on you. So typically you would probably avoid doing that. It wouldn't necessarily have been such a big deal if the Republicans hadn't insisted that uh, President Obama could not nominate a Supreme Court justice uh, a year in advance of his re-election. So they didn't just say that he couldn't. He did nominate Merrick Garland, right? And then yeah. they just and then didn't they vote on confirm. it in the Senate. Yeah. They didn't even not confirm it. They just didn't yeah. vote on it yeah. for yeah. a year because they're yes. like, it's an election year. Yeah. And just to put into perspective what you just said, that you wouldn't want to do this in an election year, you could do it in an election year. It's an election week when this is being confirmed. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's It's... It's a uh, in theory, yeah. In theory, I don't. I don't think many people would have a per, much objection with, within the the year. Yeah. Um. But once you get into the week, where again, like, uh, I think like sixty four point seven million Americans have already voted. Yeah. So that's a huge. That's a huge percentage of the total potential turnout. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. Because I think what did they say like uh. There was like only forty three percent, or forty three no forty three percent of non-eligible voter or forty three percent of eligible voters in the last election did not vote. So to have that many, which is pretty close to sixty four point seven million Americans. Wow. Um, so I I feel like you just you can't be uh when you can't be <laughs> doing it when when votes are currently being counted in right. some states. So just to to explain a little bit because. When Obama was doing this, everybody, uh, or Republicans, Mitch McConnell was saying mm-hmm. that he's a lame duck president. So yeah. the term lame duck president means a president who is who has been voted out of office and their presidency between November 4th and January 9th. It's mm-hmm. always been <laughs> that yeah. lame duck period is when you will not be president again. And in historically, it was you don't appoint Supreme Court justices during that period. So this lame duck term was extended to reach for a year back into your actual elected term, which if you only elected for four years at a time, I don't know. That That's seems a like a long year. time. Um, <laughs> so can you give a quick overview? Maybe, I mean, 
people may have heard about court packing. I mean, this was brought up a lot in debates where uh, Donald Trump is like, Joe Biden's going to pack the court and the Democrats are going to pack the court. And what pack the court means, and Joe Biden hasn't really come down on one side or the other saying whether or not he's going to do this. Pack the court seems like pretty scary language to use around this. What does packing the court mean? Yeah, so that was a, it's actually one of Trump's significant, uh, uh, I guess, present promises came of his previous election that I guess he has accomplished. And it means um, putting in uh, judges that represent his represent the Republicans ideological viewpoints. It's mm-hmm. it's it is a continuation of that, like sort of the ability to vote for and know that your judge is a Democrat or Republican, um, but more in, into into the nominations. Um so it's it's um, I guess a major issue for the uh, for the, for the Republican Party has been to take on um, Roe v. Wade, which is the legislation around abortion, or the the the, the laws against around abortion in in the United States, um, and they want to have that reviewed in the Supreme Court. And by changing the balance of the court to be more Republican, where it had previously been. Um, it had been more balanced. It, it had been becoming progressively more Republican. But if you're, so you they wanted to have it packed with Republicans or mm-hmm. or change the balance to be Republican because a president gets nominations because uh, and and the Supreme Court it it's pretty macabre to think about. But essentially, you look at the Supreme Court and you say which of these judges is most likely to die or retire from the Supreme Court. Um, during said president, uh, someone's presidency, and then then you can also project who gets to decide uh, future Supreme Court seats, um, and and set the balance of the Supreme Court for what are lifetime appointments. So yeah. every new judge that gets put on is there for as long as they want to be there. And so the idea of court packing as well goes beyond just having the ability to put more judges. Uh, or fill vacancies within the court, which Donald Trump has done. He's appointed three Supreme Court justices, which is the most, um, I think, for the past five presidencies, uh, yeah. four-year, or in, including eight-year presidencies. Normally, yeah. a president will appoint two judges, Supreme mm-hmm. Court justices. Um, and packing the court includes um, expansion of the court and expanding yeah. the number of seats in the Supreme Court, which right now is nine, historically has been as low as five, Um, and as many as 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so originally the number of seats on the Supreme Court was meant to reflect the number of federal circuit courts, right? Mm -hmm. Which which was nine at the last time it was changed. Um, There are now, I believe, 13 uh, federal circuit courts. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's nothing that says that the Supreme Court should have nine um, justices uh, mm-hmm. the Senate can change the number of seats on the Supreme Court and add to them. There could be 11, there could be 13. Um, and depending on where you fall, if you think that uh, either Amy Coney Barrett or Brett Kavanaugh's appointment was illegitimate um, due to the kind of uh, sham uh, pushing through of Brett Kavanaugh and his likely lying under oath during Mm -hmm. his uh, (laughs) basically interview process with the Senate. Um, And now uh, Amy Coney Barrett's uh, 30-day appointment to the Supreme Court and kind of stealing Merrick Garland's seat. This Mm -hmm. is, I guess, this is from the Democrats' point of view, all these things. Um, Mm -hmm. 
they may believe that it seems reasonable to kind of get back those seats by expanding the court to 11. Um, There's been nothing on either side of that. I think AOC has come out and said, expand the court. Just do yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, whereas Joe Biden has said, has been very coy about whether or not he'll say it. And he normally just kind of evades the question, just talks about something else or why yeah. the Supreme Court matters or something. Yeah. And I think that's that's probably I, I don't I'm not going to I don't really want to weigh in on, on campaigning decisions, but that's probably a, a very a decided choice about what is yeah. <laughs> what is best for his campaign to do. That is something um, that Joe Biden can remember to say all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and but it's yeah, it, it's ultimately the courts ha- are in the US a political they're a political part they're a part of campaign, they're a part of politics. Um, and so that is there's nothing in the rules to say again that they can't nominate this judge and 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 put her in place mm-hmm. in the 30 days to be clear that is totally they are totally allowed to do that mm-hmm. it is a matter of opinion whether you think they should or not um and then but it is also a matter of opinion whether you think that they should expand the court or not and there's no reason again why not to and i think something that is interesting in the last sort of that that has come out of the the Trump campaign, uh, the tr- the Trump's Trump's presidency and his campaign previous to that, and then the campaign now is that like the the, the things you accept as precedent, like that's not necessarily how that's going to work anymore. Um, yeah, if it's not explicitly written down, it can happen. Ms. McConnell is work to rule. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> if you it, just because you can't do it or just because you can do it you can do it there's nothing in the rules really that says that he can't do these things there are certain rules that say that you can't do things but they are just not enforced or they are enforced by government agencies that are also controlled by the current ruling party um and so basically nothing happens this has been happening around um campaign finance with using the white house for campaign events Mm -hmm. um which is illegal yeah Uh, but there's nobody in place to um, enforce those laws. Uh, so nothing happens. Um, yeah. But Which is also, again, like we were talking about the long ballot, but it's why I think it, there, there's an importance of us talking about these other elections because those matter too. If Democrats or Republicans don't win those elections, they have a lot less power over controlling what happens. Like, like the, the impeachment of the president or checks on those campaigns, they happen more if... Uh, if there are more diverse, if, if people are voting and aware of what the other roles that they should be voting for um, are, I guess. Yeah, All that right. makes sense. Yeah. There is so much that we could talk about, about the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we got to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, the forecast looks like 90-10 that... Uh, Joe Biden will be president. It looks like about 96 to 5, 96 to 4% that the uh, Democrats will uh, maintain control of the House of Representatives and about 3 to 1 that they will uh, gain control of the Senate. Um, That's at a federal level. Who knows, though? Tune in on Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah, if if you are in the U.S., um, I guess the the recommendation now is to go in person to vote. Don't mail your ballot in, but go make your plan and figure out who you're voting for. And um, yeah, and uh, and and figure out all the places, all the people you're voting for, not just the president, uh, because it'll it all matters. Um, 
and uh, maybe uh, voting in the right people, you'll vote in some people who actually want you to vote, um, and <laughs> we'll try and make that easier. <laughs> All right. What is Antonio Gutierrez saying, Kaylee? Um, yeah, so he's talking about COVID. <laughs> <laughs> you don't so, say. I think in the in the in the our New Zealand episode, I mentioned that the G20 uh, meetings were coming up, and 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 several um, several big UN uh, meetings as well. Um, and at the G20, the UN, it, he says the UN will be advocating um, very strongly um, to put c- the coronavirus at the top of the agenda. That he's found it extremely frustrating that the leaders of the 20 major industrial na- industrialized nations didn't come together in March and establish a coordinated response um, to suppress the COVID-19 um, in all countries. Uh, and so he's he's urging the adoption um, as top priority of the adoption of a wartime plan. Um, so this would be a stimulus package in the trillions of dollars. Um, for businesses, workers, households in developing countries to make sure that they can also tackle the pandemic um, and and defeat the virus on a global scale. Um, and he's also advocating, uh, they'll also be advocating very strongly um, to for the coronavirus vaccine to be treated as a global public good and made available and affordable for everyone everywhere. Um, so they've sort of established an international in- initiative to distribute the, cr- the, the, the future vaccine called, called COVAX. Um, but it is so far, um, only 156 countries are a part of it. Um, and it is pretty dramatically underfunded. So those are, he's, he's established his big goals, uh, for the G20 meeting. He's also said that, um, that, uh, this is our COVID is our big problem for the now, Climate change is our problem for the century, and we cannot respond to COVID in the same way that we have. Uh, er, we cannot respond to climate change in the way that we have, uh, the way that we have responded to COVID nineteen. Uh, yeah. Ooh, big plans, eh? Yeah, yeah, a lot there. Uh, but you know, he's using some strong language, mm-hmm. um, being pretty forceful. So it'll be interesting to see. I think uh, keep an eye on the G twenty summit. I always do. Which is November twenty first to twenty second for anybody looking. I think there's probably like live streams and stuff. So yes, live streams of the protest happening out front at least. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, it's virtual, so I, they may the protest might be kind of dispersed. Ah, that's it. That's good. Decentralized protests. Why not? It's twenty twenty. <laughs> so let's talk about something that's not virtual. Okay. Let's talk about something that's happening here and now, well, actually far away. Well, kind of close. It, is this in space? This is in space. Oh, <laughs> space news this week. In fact, yesterday, water discovered on the moon. Again. Oh, I saw that. I saw a headline that said the moon is wet. Yes. Um, and then somebody chuckling about that. <laughs> uh, so you may be wondering, didn't we already discover water on the moon previously? Yes. But there is a difference between that water and this water. Okay. They're both okay. water, but the Previous water on the moon was in the southern pole that never gets sunlight in the mm-hmm. in like craters, um, so it's always cold, and so it's ice water. Uh, so we knew that was there, um, mm-hmm. but recently, um, Sophia, which is the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, which mm-hmm. is a seven forty seven, a Boeing seven forty seven, with an <laughs> infrared telescope inside of it, sure. that flies at forty one thousand feet in the stratosphere above most of the water in our atmosphere so that we Mm -hmm. can look for water other places without um having that interference from 
So basically, like last time I said, you know, like we looked at phosphine gas and we could tell what the phosphine gas looked like by um, light passing through it and its signature mm-hmm. of what it absorbs. Yeah. To do infrared astronomy from Earth, you can't really because water absorbs a bunch of infrared light. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a bunch of water in our atmosphere. So we launched this plane up, flies above most of the water in our atmosphere so we can see water signatures and also other infrared signals. So it flew up there. It looked at the moon, the surface of the moon, and not only mm-hmm. in shady spots, but also in sunny spots where because that a day on the moon lasts about two weeks, right? Yeah. Half of its um, spin mm-hmm. uh, because we have a 28-day moon cycle. So 14 days, you know, half a spin. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Obviously. <laughs> uh, so we looked at the sunny spots as well, and they found water there, um, which was totally unexpected because in those sunny spots, it gets over the boiling point of water for a lot of the time. Um, so you'd think that it would boil away, but mm-hmm. it didn't. And oh. there is as much water per cubic meter of moon soil on the surface as there is water in like a can of Coke. <laughs> like a pop can worth of water spread out over yeah. a cubic meter, which is quite a bit of sand and yeah. regolith, I guess it's called on the moon. Um, uh-huh. So it's not a ton of water. <laughs> uh, no. Very will be very difficult for potential future lunar modules to extract that water. But yeah. we at least know there's that much on the really close to the surface. So there may be more water deeper down. Who knows? So what does this, um, I guess, mean for us? Like other than being, it's cool. Yeah, so I mean, this goes back to what we were just talking about with the United States election. Mm. The Sophia project is kind of expensive to run. It is a 747 with a telescope inside of it. (laughs) Um, And so at this point, NASA, instead of just saying, hey, look what this project can do, which Sophia's funding was cut for next year, so it can't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, They're now saying, hey, look what it can do. But instead of that, we're going to splash. We're going to make it on the news. We're going to say we found water on the moon, which they did, Uh. uh, which is kind of maybe politically motivated. um, But it's also, hey, we found water on the moon. And also it is interesting because for future um, lunar missions, which in in the next few years, there should be um, astronauts going to the moon. They're going to be looking at the poles for water. Uh, because if you're making like a moon base, you can extract that water if it's in a higher concentration much more easily than this very dilute amount of water in the sand. But potentially this is right at the top, so it might be if they dig a little bit deeper uh, when they go up there, they might be able to find more water deeper down. And there's just potential because we didn't even think that they could that there would be any water on the sunny spots, and it seems like there's mm-hmm. some, so that points to potentially more further down. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Or really, what I've heard in I think every story we've talked about is um, you can definitely connect it back to the American election. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's all I got. I think, I mean, we could talk about the American election for way longer. Yes. And I'm sure everybody listening has been talking about the American election and we all know a lot about it. So, hey, with that, uh, thank you for listening to Probably About Politics. Yes. If you have more to say about the American election or you have some reason why finding water on the moon is exciting to you, tweet it uh, at us at, at probpolitics uh, or at, yeah, at probpolitics on Twitter or send us an email at probpolitics at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Find us on all your streaming platforms and go to all the different streaming platforms and rate and review the pod. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Probably Politics. We, we love you. We love you all. Bye. Bye.